Go ahead and find Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Some of you heard this story before, but um, I wanted to share it again today. I think it goes with this message. Um, some of y'all know that I'm afraid of heights. I don't like heights. And so for that reason, I guess, uh, in my life, I've never really been a big theme park person. And I don't mind going. I'll eat the food. I'll hang out. But I don't really like the rides. Some of y'all love that, don't you? Who loves it? Who loves it? Yeah. You ride it all two or three times. And I'm the guy on the bench just watching you ride it, you know, chilling. But, and so I am terrified of roller coasters. Like, I don't even like to walk beside roller coasters. And have you ever seen those Facebook videos of roller coasters where it's like a point of view? It's like you're sitting on the roller coaster. Like, I've watched a couple of those before. It made me sick watching the videos. I can't, I have to turn it off. And so I think some of y'all know this, but a few years ago, um, we went to Dollywood and, um, and my family was, all my family was there, extended family, and they wanted to ride this roller coaster, and of course, I'm like, I'm out, you know, but I remember Andrew wanted to ride, he was younger then, and I don't know that he was really 100% ready to ride the ride either, and so um, we, we go to the Dollywood uh, roller coaster, and not even the big one, right, it's the fire engine one, y'all know what I'm talking about, some of y'all do, it's the fire engine one, and so we stand in this long line, and, and I'm like, should I be doing this, really? But I'll give it a shot. Why not? If, if all these little kids can do it, I can do it, right? And so we get in the seat. We're sitting there, and you know, I'm just sitting there just like, I've got this. You can do this, <laughs> you know, t- talking to myself, pumping, pumping myself up. And, and so then the thing starts off. And it starts off kind of slow, I think, if I remember correctly. It starts off slow. And if I remember correctly, although it's a, it's a daze in my memory at this point, but it starts off like, this is nothing. I got this, right? This is a piece of cake. And all of a sudden, it takes off. And it goes around a couple of curves, and I'm like, I made a mistake. <laughs> I should not be on it right now. What am I doing? And so then it stops again. I'm like, okay, I've got this. That, that, that wasn't so bad. If that's all it is, the couple of little twists and turns, I've got this. And so then we start going really slow up this incline, right? And I'm like, what goes up must come down. And I'm like, this is not good. There's like a kid behind me crying, and I'm like, you know, I feel you, kid. And Andrew's beside me, and he wasn't even doing that great either, and I was trying to be strong for him, you know. And... Uh, so we get to the top of it, and what happens? We go down, and I'm, at that point, when we start going down on that decline, I thought I was dead. I thought that was the end of my life. I was like, I will never ride a roller coaster again, and I haven't since. And this is not even a big roller coaster. Some of y'all know this. And so we go around, and, and finally it stops in this little spot where there's like all these fireworks and like different things going off and loud music. And I, what I realized was the track, there's no more track. Like, is this the end? Are we about to get out? What, what are we doing here? And then all of a sudden, it starts going backwards, full speed. It takes off full speed backwards. And at that point, my soul left my body. <laughs> I was like, and I'm already praying all the prayers I know. I'm quoting all the scriptures I know. And uh, backwards? I was like, are you kidding me? And so finally, it, I don't know what happens. We finally get to the end, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Get me off here. And so I reward myself with some cotton candy or something at the end. But me and Andrew both were like, that's not for us. And he's probably rode, he's rode some since. He went to Disney since. So he's, he's over his fears, but I'm not. But, man, a roller coaster, that roller coaster for me was a life-changing experience. 
to go fast, to go slow, to go up, to go down, to go forward, to go backwards. It was in a co- I guess it lasted two or three minutes, but it felt like eternity. Um, and I share with that, that with you because when I read Romans 7, and I read the Apostle Paul describe the Christian life, it t- at times feels like a roller coaster. And is that how your Christian life feels sometimes? Are you always on the high of the Christian life, or is there sometimes some lows? Is it ups and downs? It is, isn't it? The Christian life is ups and downs, and sometimes, like me, you doubt some things. Sometimes, like me, you're not sure if you're going forward or backwards. And sometimes it can be scary. The Christian life is a struggle, and Jesus told us it would be a struggle, didn't he? He told his disciples it's not going to be easy, and it wasn't easy for them. It wasn't even easy for Jesus, was it? Perfect son of God, and it wasn't easy for him uh, because of things going on in the world. And so we understand this, that it's it's a roller coaster ride. It's a struggle to be a believer, but the struggle is worth it, isn't it? To know God, to know Christ, to have our eternity set in heaven, that's all worth it to go through the struggles we go through as Christians. And so in Romans 7, if you'll find verse 14, listen closely to the struggle for the Christian that Paul himself experienced and that we experience. If you found Romans 7, 14, say word. For we know that the law is spiritual... But I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I do good, When I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I'm going to give you three thoughts, three main thoughts on this passage as we discuss the fact that the struggle for the Christian is real. The first one is this. Every Christian, all of us who are believers in Christ, have a lifelong battle with sin. Before we become a Christian, we're completely given over to it. We're sinners. And, but after we become a Christian, we know we still battle with sin. So a few of these verses describe this. and um, So I want to look at a few of these. In verse 14, for example, he says, "For the we know the law is spiritual. Remember, and what he's saying here, he's saying the law is good. Remember last week, we talked about the speed limit sign? And I told you that the speed limit sign 
doesn't make us speed. It just lets us know how much we're speeding by or that we are speeding. It's the law. And we said the law of God is the same way. It doesn't make us sin, but it reveals our sin or shows us our sin. It's like that sign. And I also told you last week, and this is important to know as we go into this passage, the law stirs in us rebellion. The law of God stirs in us feelings of, of rebellion. And so what Paul's doing here is he's imagining people that would argue with him. He's imagining someone saying, what are you doing, Paul? I mean, you're a Jew. Are, are you bashing the Jewish law, the, the law God gave the children of Israel? Are you putting it down? And he's already said it in the chapter, and he says, again, though the law is good. The law is spiritual. The law is helpful. But then he contrasts the law with himself in verse 14, and he says, though the law is spiritual, I, me, I am carnal. I am sold under sin. The law is a good thing, but the law can only do so much. Because we are, we are in sin, carnal, he says. Now, I've told you this before. When we are saved, Christ sets us free from the power of sin, in a sense. We can now follow Christ by the Holy Spirit and do good. But we all know this, don't we? Even though we're set free from sin, we're set free from the power of sin, the power of sin still holds some hold on us in another sense. It's a, it's a paradox, I guess. It's, it's, it's and, or oh, it's both, not and or. We're set free from the power of sin in one sense. In another sense, it continues to just bring us down. And so as Christians, we deal with our sin, but we must deal with our sin. A Christian who goes on sinning, not caring, not worrying about it, not being convicted of it, is not a Christian. Right? Because we know the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. I have a friend who I've known for many, many years who has doubted his salvation for years. And I've had countless conversations with this friend. This is a friend who knows the Bible very well, been in church his whole life, um, but for different reasons doubts the salvation God has given him. And I had so many conversations with him. It was tough for me. It was frustrating to say, do you trust Christ? Yes. Do you love Christ? Yes. Do you serve Christ? Yes. Well, as best I can tell you from your life and what you've said, you're a Christian. I've seen your life. I've, seen, I've had conversations with you. I think you're a Christian, but yet he still would doubt in his heart. And so one day it finally hit me that, and I told him this, the fact that you care so much about your sin, the fact that you care so much about this situation it's another sign that you are a Christian. Amen. Because you're not letting your sin go by, right? He, he's confessing his sin. He's talking about his sin. It matters to him. It's, it was a picture to me that the Holy Spirit was dealing with his, in his heart. And so I want to give you this quote from Martin Luther about this passage. He says, this is proof, proof of the spiritual man. He knows he is carnal. He's dis, and he is very displeased with himself. Indeed, in a sense, he hates himself and praises the law of God. And he does this because he recognizes he is spiritual. But then he says this, here's the proof of a foolish man, that he regards himself as spiritual and is pleased with himself. How do you see yourself when it comes to sin? I hope you would say this morning, I'm forgiven of sin. But I hope you would also say this, I'm still a sinner. I still mess up, I still fall short. As a matter of fact, in 1 John, John writes, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. We're a liar. Anybody that would tell you, 
I'm, I don't have any sin. They're a liar, <laughs> right? We know that from experience. The best of us, whoever that might be in this room, sins every day, right? When our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts, our words, look with me in verse 15. And the next section here, he, he's talking about, as we talk about every Christian being a sinner, he, 15 through like 22 is sometimes hard to read. It's a lot of words that are similar. But the, basically what he's saying is, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. It's this Christian struggle of trying to do the right things. None of us woke up this morning and thought the first thing you thought was, I can't wait to just wake up and start sinning today. Did anybody say that this morning? No, I hope not. But guess what? We still will, more than likely, throughout the day. But that, that shows us this, this battle we're in. And I want you to see in this passage, and what I see from this is we lack, a, we lack the, the ability or the power to completely overcome sin. Paul, this guy that wrote, this apostle that wrote this, was he one of the most you know, important people in the Bible? I think so. He helped spread the early church. He's, he, he took the gospel to the Gentiles. He wrote much of our New Testament. This guy was an important figure, wasn't he? And yet, he says, I am carnal. And the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things he says there in verse 15, the things I hate, I do them. And so if Paul struggles like this, certainly we, we will as well. It's that roller coaster. Did Paul lack the knowledge to overcome sin? Did he lack knowledge? He didn't, did he? Did Paul lack the as we see here, did he lack the desire to overcome sin? He didn't lack the desire. He says, I want to do what's right. He didn't like, and, and we're the same way, by the way, most of us. You don't lack the, the knowledge. You know enough of the Bible, probably, to overcome sin. You, many, most of us have the desire to overcome sin. But here's what we lack. The power it takes to overcome sin. It, on our own, right? In ourselves. We lack that power because that power only comes from the Holy Spirit of God in us, giving us victories. And so the point of this passage is to say, what can the law do? It only points out our faults. It cannot help us do what's right. We need something else. Skip with me to verse 17. This is interesting. In verse 17, and he says it again in verse 20, he says, Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And again in verse 20, it's not me, necessarily, it's sin that dwelleth in me. Like a computer virus that's kind of gotten into a computer and messed it all up, sin has gotten into us and it's messed us all up. And it's spread to different parts of our lives. And as I read this, what stands out to me is, in 17 and 20, do you read that and think, is Paul passing the blame? I've, I've thought that before in these, this passage. As I've looked at it closer, I don't think that's what he's doing at all. In verse 17 and 20, he's not saying, he's not saying like we do sometimes, like, the devil made me do it. Have you ever said that before? I remember I told you all this before. Years ago, I missed Sunday school a couple weeks when I was, like, in college. And one of the elders in the church came up to me and said, hey, missed you at Sunday school? And I was like, I was, I'm sorry, the devil made me do it. He was like, what? The devil didn't, make you, didn't wake you up? You know, didn't, didn't help you get up? And that's not what we should say. That's an elementary thing to say. That's a very... That's not a Christian thing to say. 
I mean, that's not what Paul's doing. He's not passing the buck to sin and not himself. That's not what he's saying. Here's what I think he's saying. He's saying, the old part of me, the old man that was crucified with Christ, that part of me that was crucified that is actually dead to sin is actually still a part of me. See, isn't that how it is? Our old man, we're new creations, new creatures, the Bible says. Our old man has died to sin, died with Christ, as Romans 6 says. Yet, even though it's died, we could not actually take it and bury it, could we? It's still in us, still with us. We still carry around that old man or woman, that old self. And it, it's a part of us. And this is why, when you read this, if you read it, Paul has an angst to what he's saying. There's an agony to what he's saying. And we, as believers, have felt that same agony. To want to do what's right and to continue to not do what's right. I hope you felt that anyway. I read in this passage as Charles Spurgeon preached on it, and he told this I thought was very interesting. He said, it was the custom of ancient tyrants when they wanted to give a very fearful punishment to a person, they would take a dead body, a corpse, and they would tie it to the prisoner, back to back. And so the prisoner would have to sit there with this, as Spurgeon put it, a rotting, putrid, corrupting, dead corpse tied to his back. And this prisoner would have to live like that and walk around with this corpse connected to him. Now that sounds awful, doesn't it? It sounds crazy. But that's what we do spiritually. We have our old self and we still drag it around with us at times. And this is why we, of course, have to look to Christ. I want to give you more on these verses, but let me just summarize them by saying, through 18 through 23, let me summarize them by saying, um, we all struggle with sin and your struggle is real. But you need to recognize that struggle. If you're not fighting as a Christian, if you're not fighting to overcome your sin and your shortcomings by taking them to Christ and prayer and Bible study and serving God, then you're not doing what God wants you to do. God wants us to, as Paul wrote in Colossians, mortify, to kill the sin, to get rid of the sin. Do we still sin? Yes. But as believers who are growing in Christ, should we be seeing some victories over sin? Yes. And we should be sinning less as we grow closer to Christ. My first point, every Christian struggles with sin. My second point, every Christian has come to a place of complete brokenness or helplessness. Look at verse 24. Have you ever come to this place in your life? He says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Have you ever come to that place in your life? To be a wretch means to be completely exhausted. It's the word that means someone who's worked all day long very hard and they come home and just pass out because they're so tired. It's a, it's a word of complete, or that word's also used to describe someone who fights, like a fighter who fights until he can fight no more. He's done all he can. He's thrown every punch he can possibly throw, and he's completely fatigued and completely exhausted, and he just falls down in exhaustion. Paul says, after all these 
words about, I don't want to do this, but I do it anyway, and I, I do want to do this, but I can't ever do the right thing, and I struggle, and it's a battle, it's a roller coaster. After all this, Paul says in verse 24, I'm a wretch. I am dead tired. I'm exhausted from trying to obey the law and trying to do all these things that God's called me to do. And if Paul, the apostle, says this about himself, how much more should I say it about myself? Beware of any person, by the way, a Christian, a preacher, an evangelist, an author, a TV preacher, for example. Beware of any of those people who spend more time talking about their goodness than their sin. The greatest saints in history that we read about, the greatest saints I've known personally are people who don't think too highly of themselves. Because they've come to see, in light of God, they are a wretch. Didn't John Newton say that? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved who? A wretch like me? So if these great believers who we, we kind of hold up on a pedestal, right? He wrote Amazing Grace. He's on a pedestal. He wrote the book of Romans. He's on a pedestal. If these great believers we've put up on a pedestal realize their wretchedness, their wickedness, their sinfulness, how much more should I recognize mine? By the way, that should come out in our prayer lives. I've told you about my friend who would pray and, and say to God things like, um, Lord, I'm just a worm. I got that from Scripture. I'm just a worm. I'm just a, it's an old hymn says that as well. How often do we think too highly of ourselves? Paul reminds us, first of all, to be saved, you come to a place of brokenness, don't you? To be saved is to say, I'm helpless apart from Christ. On my own, I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. To be saved is to say, church attendance, baptism, giving money in the offering plate, all that will not save me. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. Being a good person won't save me. Only trusting in Christ will save me. And many of you know that feeling, right? That, you remember that feeling of brokenness and helplessness when you were born again? Because the Holy Spirit told you, convicted you, that you're nothing apart from Christ. But not only in our salvation, but Christians in our walk, we need to re- remind ourselves of the broken place we need to be, the helpless place we need to be, that Christ might help us. That leads me to my final point in verse 25. My final point is every Christian has come to see that their only hope is Jesus. If you go back and you read chapter 7, especially from 14 and following, as we did this morning, I counted like 30 to 40 times where Paul talks about himself. Because he says, I, me, myself. Like 40 times I think he does that. And if you read through those verses closely, you might be thinking, like, where's Christ in this? Where's Christ? It's kind of, he's talking a lot about himself and his issues, his struggles. But finally, at the end, he gets to Christ. Because Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, was a a great writer of Scripture, right? And so he builds this case for his helplessness, his brokenness, his sinfulness, his wretchedness. He builds this case of a roller coaster Christian life, of a tug of war Christian life. And as he builds this case, he finally gets to verse 25 and says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, 
Who will deliver me, verse 24 said, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will ultimately get rid of this old man I'm carrying around with me? Christ. He finally gets there. He looks up and sees his only hope. Church, Jesus did not come and save us so that we would just be better. He came and saved us so that we would be new. He didn't just save us so that we would follow rules to feel good about ourselves. He saves us. He saved us that our whole lives would be changed. I read this and I wanted to read it to you. I thought this was helpful in this passage. I don't know, I don't know who wrote this, but it says, You thought the problem was that you didn't know what to do to save yourself. But the law came as a teacher, taught you what to do, and you still couldn't do it. Church, you don't need a teacher, you need a Savior. You thought the problem was that you weren't motivated enough, but the law came in like a coach and encouraged you on to do what you need to do, and you still couldn't do it. You don't need a coach or a motivational speaker, you need a Savior. Well, you thought the problem was that you didn't know yourself well enough. But the law came in like a doctor and perfectly diagnosed your sin problem. But the law could not heal you. You don't need a doctor. You need a Savior. This morning, I don't know who might be listening to this and thinking, I need this, I need that, I need to do this, I need to do that. This passage shows us clearly that we need a Savior. Remember last year as I moved to my conclusion? Last year we did the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that? Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And the very first sermon was Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. We looked at those Beatitudes and we looked at the one that says this Blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be the poor in spirit? When Jesus wrote that, those words, poor did not mean someone that has a little bit. It wasn't like a poor person that has a little bit. The word poor there in the scripture means you have nothing. I mean, this is not even the guy, this is not like, I have enough that I can make a cardboard sign and go set up and try to get people to give me money. No, this, this kind of poor, the poor in spirit we're talking about, has not even a, a cardboard sign. Has nothing. Nothing in my hands I bring. The song says. Poor means to be completely lacking. And this is the mindset of Romans 7. And this needs to be the mindset of us. That in ourselves, on our own, we're lacking. For you who are, may not know Jesus, if anyone's listening to my voice, and you don't, you're not sure if you have a relationship with God, I pray God would do a work and that you would come, as, the, as they say, to the end of yourself. That's where your new life begins in Christ, right, believers? We come to the end of ourselves and we see that Christ is everything. Like that man who saw that treasure in the field and knew it was the greatest treasure, so he sold everything and bought that field. When you come to know Jesus, you see he is everything. Repent, believe, and follow him. Christians, as we seek to 
have victories over this sin that we struggle with, that also comes through a dependence on Christ. You will not overcome sin just by working harder. Just working harder on it will make it harder on you. You have to have a dependence on him and then work hard on it as he helps you. Finally, I wanted to add this this morning. For many of you in this room, it's your desire to be used by God with, to minister to your families, in our church, in your world. Many of you want to serve God, don't you? Many of you do. God uses broken people. God uses people who are not prideful, but who are humble, who don't think too highly of themselves, but who, like John the Baptist, say, I must decrease and he must increase. I pray we would all come to this place of helplessness and hopelessness. It's not a place, by the way, of defeat. Because once we understand that he's the victor, we're also the victors in Christ. So there's a joy from this brokenness. Let's pray.